People of God in Christ, uh, of all the points of doctrine championed in the Reformation, uh, the one that I would have us revisit this morning uh, is the one that cost the most lives. Uh, It is said that more people were martyred for their denial of transubstantiation than any other doctrinal issue. Transubstantiation is the teaching of the Roman Church that in the Eucharist, within the Lord's Supper, there is the performance of a miracle. Uh, There is a moment brought about by the words of the officiating priest, a moment when the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper become, is transformed instantly and miraculously into the physical body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so, said the Reformers. Not so, not only because such an understanding is never taught in Scripture, but because that very understanding is condemned by God's Word. The second of God's Ten Commandments says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The Reformers understood that it was the jealousy of God, which is to say his concern and demand for his right worship, that ruled out and even condemned such an idea that bread could so represent the body of Christ that the bread itself should be worshipped, or that the contents of the cup of the Lord's Supper Uh, could so represent the blood of Christ that it should be worshipped. Unless we doubt that that was the result, the outcome uh, of Rome's teaching of transubstantiation, we need only consult the official teaching of Rome even yet today. Uh, It was why, uh, even why the cup at the time of the Reformation was not even being given to the people. They were not allowed to drink uh, from the cup in the Lord's Supper. And even the bread could only be touched by the priest and must be placed directly on the tongue of the person receiving it. Both the bread and the wine were too holy for the average person to handle, and for the risk of the cup being spilled, the wine of the Eucharist was even withheld from the people. Not so, said the Reformers, and uh, for this denial, for this refusal of idolatry, and for their teaching to the contrary, many of the Reformers were put to death during the Reformation. This morning we consider, uh, not from tradition or any teaching of man, but from God's Word, we consider the presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. Uh, Let there be no doubt that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper. In his institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus said of the bread which he gave to his disciples, this is my body. And he said of the cup which uh, he called his disciples to drink from it, all of you, um, this is my blood, he said. But if that doesn't mean that the bread and the cup become, at some point, the physical body and blood of Christ, then what does it mean? 
If the bread and the wine are indeed his body and blood, as Jesus himself said, then how so? How is Christ present in the Lord's Supper? In order to answer the question, how is Christ present in the Lord's Supper, we can go to the passage that we have read, John chapter 6, 22 to 59, which is not a passage that speaks directly to the Lord's Supper. In other words, uh, it is not a passage that recounts how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, like Matthew 26, 26 to 29, or like Mark 14, 22 to 25, or like Luke 22, 18 to 20. Neither is it uh, a passage like uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25, which provides us with the, the teaching of the Apostle Paul about the Lord's Supper. Instead, John 6, 22 to 59, is a passage that calls us to believe in Christ and teaches us of our spiritual union with Christ by faith and our benefit from his sacrifice. In John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So, so coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, having faith in him is the matter of eating and drinking and eating and drinking so fully, so fillingly, if that's a word, that upon believing in him, we will never more hunger and never more thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John, having said, I am the bread of life. In John 6, Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. In John 8, uh, I am the door, or as some versions say, the gate. In John 10, I am the good shepherd, said Jesus, also in John 10. Uh, for the fifth I am statement, we go to the next chapter. I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. Again in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. And finally in John 15, I am the true vine. Do you know the seven I am statements of Jesus? Each of them is rich and deep. Each of them affords us great comfort as we know him and trust him as our Savior. But it is the first of these statements that we uh, would hear and understand or seek to understand this morning. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. And what was he saying? What, what was he teaching us about himself in this statement? Well, what do we know about bread? Uh, there, are, there, there could hardly be a more universal image uh, for Jesus to use and teach us uh, who he is and what our relationship to him must be. Bread is food. Bread is nourishment. Uh, bread is the means by which God keeps us alive. And the point is not that if we believe in Christ, we should only eat bread. Uh, neither is it wrong to, uh, to go on one of those sad new diets where you don't eat any bread. Uh, the point is not the the bread itself, but the significance of the bread. Uh, again, bread is food, bread is nourishment, bread gives life. 
and so does Jesus. But the bread of which Jesus spoke even signified his very flesh. Jesus not only said, I am the bread of life, but he went on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So Jesus uh, might have said, uh, not only I am the bread of life, but also I am the wine of life. But by saying only that he is the bread of life, it becomes clear that that he was uh, not speaking of just bread and wine. And uh, we ought to clarify that when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and when he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you, he wasn't referring to the Lord's Supper that he would later institute for his church. In other words, he, he wasn't saying, unless you take the Lord's Supper, which I will later set up for you and institute for you, you have no life in you. No. Instead, by calling upon his believers to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, he was calling them to faith and in many respects uh, teaching them what faith is. He was calling them to, to the same remembrance and assurance that are then later tied to the Lord's Supper. Faith in a matter, or faith is a matter of feeding on Christ. And, and if that startles us, then that's good. Uh, it certainly startled the people when Jesus first uh, spoke to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. To start with, in John six forty one, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, came down from heaven. Uh, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose uh, father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? But Jesus didn't, uh, didn't back down. In fact, he even doubled down, as we say. And all of this was a matter of confrontation. All of this uh, instruction followed from the earlier words of Jesus, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. The people were the same people who were part of the feeding of the 5,000 in the previous day. It, uh, it was the next day now. They were hungry again. Ever have that experience? You eat a meal, you're so full, you think, I'm never going to be hungry again. The next morning, where are the eggs? And they had, uh, they had caught up to him. And why? Because they were hungry again. This is the problem of f- physical food. You eat it one day and it's gone and you need more the next day. And none of it will keep us alive forever. We can also uh, see by looking at uh, a passage such as Matthew 12 that Jesus was uh, known to say to the people in essence, uh, Don't you want more than that? Um, Jesus doesn't so much ask, don't you want more than that? Instead, here he commands his, uh, he teaches the people that they must want more than that. Uh, They should want more from him than another miracle producing more food like he did with the feeding of the 5,000. They, they, should, they should want more from him because that's why he came 
And because that's what they need. He had come not to serve them as an earthly king. Don't you want more than that? He didn't come simply as a miracle performer. Don't you want more than that? He had come to die for them. He had come to provide them with the sacrifice of his body and blood. The problem with that provision is that it offends. To say that he must die in order that sinners might live is to say that sinners deserve to die for their sin. And that's humbling. That's even humiliating. But that's the reason, that's why the way of salvation according to the reality of sin and the justice of God is the cross and people still turn away. They turn away from such an offensive message. From verse 41, we can drop down to verse 52 where it says, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, saying, How? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And again, Jesus did not back down. He answered them, as we've already heard, Truly, truly. How many times does he say that throughout this? He's wanting them to, to hear it and to, and to understand. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know, at some point you think, Jesus must have, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus must have thought, I'm going to say this as many times as I, as, I, as I can, lest anybody think, he couldn't have just said that. We know, of course, by the full teaching of God's Word that salvation is by faith in Christ. And so we can also say by the clear teaching of Scripture that unless you believe in Jesus, you have no life in you. And the result is that we have then a, a definition of faith. If those are saved who eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, and if those are saved who believe in Him, then to eat His flesh and to drink His blood is what faith is. Faith is feeding on Jesus. So in John 6, Jesus was referring directly um, uh, to the Lord's Supper, or He was not referring directly to the Lord's Supper. Instead, He was talking about faith. Faith is feeding on Jesus. But this also shows us that faith is required for participation in the Lord's Supper. If a, if a person doesn't have knowledge of the gospel, if a person doesn't have a sufficient understanding of how the sacrifice on the cross saves sinners, then, then there's no way for them to eat and drink the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper. You have to have faith in order to do that. And no miracle of a, of a priest can possibly make the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ to someone who is eating and drinking without faith. Instead, the miracle, there is a miracle involved, but the miracle needs to be done through the preaching of the word. And it's by the preaching of the gospel that sinners come to understand their sin, that they, that they need more than breakfast or lunch or dinner. And it's by the preaching of the gospel that sinners come to understand the atoning cross of Christ. On the cross, Jesus was dying in the place of 
the sinner in his suffering and death. Jesus was paying the price for the sinner's sin. By his death, Jesus was making atonement for sin, which is to say he was bearing in his body and soul the wrath of God for sin. The cross is where he was taking upon himself the judgment of God. And in that way, turning the judgment of God away from from the sinner once for all, we say, because that's what Scripture says. In order that the sinner might live, truly live, not for a day, but forever. Jesus said in John 6.50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Faith is feeding on Christ. To believe in Christ is to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. And this we do as believers in Christ, not just at the table of our Lord. We really do it every day if we are, if we are truly believers. Every day we feed on Christ because we have faith every day and faith is feeding on Christ. In other words, faith is depending on Christ. Faith is knowing and confessing that apart from Christ, we are dead people in sin. Faith is knowing and confessing that by the sacrifice of Christ made once for all at the cross, by the sacrifice of Christ, we live. By his sacrifice, we have life. We have life today. We will have life tomorrow. And beyond tomorrow, by the sacrifice of Christ, we have life forevermore. To believe in Christ is to depend on Christ utterly and joyfully. Which brings us to another main point of the understanding of abiding in Christ. For the idea and the, and the call to abide in Christ, we could go, of course, to John 15, where Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide in me. And, and then comes another of Jesus' I am statements. I am the vine. You are the branches. And Jesus continues to explain and, and teach whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. But this is certainly not the first time that Jesus spoke of abiding in him. Back in John 6, Jesus said, now in Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And so we have an expansion. We have a deepening of our understanding of what faith is. Faith is not just a Sunday thing. Uh, It's not just a matter for the Lord's day. Faith is uh, not just uh, making room in your schedule for Jesus and keeping appointments with him. Faith is, uh, is not just Communion Sunday. Yes, it takes faith for someone to truly eat and drink at the Lord's table, but Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In John 15, 
When Jesus speaks there of abiding in him, we might imagine the confusion and perhaps even the frustration of the disciples. In John 6, we we get to hear much of the people's confusion and, and frustration. But in John 15, we hear mostly just the teaching of Jesus and his call to abide in him. But what does that mean? Surely the disciples struggled, as, as we probably do. For the disciples, on one hand, Jesus was talking about going away. And it grieved them to hear him talking about going away. And yet Jesus was calling them to abide in him, to abide in him, to abide in him. Well, which is it? Are you, are you going away, Jesus, or will you stay that we might abide in you? But even if he should stay, how does one abide in him? The answer is that Jesus was not talking about any kind of a physical connection and fellowship with him. He was talking instead about a spiritual connection and fellowship with him. And so Jesus made it clear that fellowship with him was not just a matter of his disciples abiding in him, but of coming to abide, that of him coming to abide in them. Jesus was talking about his coming to them by the Holy Spirit. And so for us, when we hear the call to abide in Christ, it, it cannot escape our attention that Jesus is not here in the flesh, but he is here in the Spirit. In fact, the teaching of God's Word is that He is within us by His Spirit. He is abiding in us. And how do we know? Do we feel a tingle or some sensation? No, we know that He is within us by His Spirit and abiding within us by His Spirit because we believe in Him. And if we believe in him so that we know he is abiding in us, then we have this call from him that we should abide in him. In other words, that we should be aware of his abiding in us, that we should remember how close he is to us, that we should talk to him in prayer, that we should expect to hear him speak to us in the word as we open our Bibles to read and study and seek to grow in our understanding of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is abiding in Christ. This is what it means to abide in Him. But what do we do? We forget. We forget that He is with us. We forget that He is in us. We forget that He died on the cross for us. We forget that He loves us and that He is for us. And and I don't mean that we forget entirely. We forget in the sense that we don't keep it in mind. We are not conscious of his presence throughout the day. We do not meditate upon his presence and upon his cross and upon his constant love for us. He certainly doesn't forget his, or he certainly doesn't forget his relationship to us, but we forget him. Dear sinner, are are you discouraged? Then you have forgotten your Lord. Have you fallen again to sin? It's because you have forgotten your Lord and his cross. Are you worried about money? Are you, uh, are you angry and unable to forgive? Are you proud and wayward? You have forgotten Christ. And so we need the Lord's Supper. We need the Lord's Supper in order to remember 
Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Does that mean that it's only the Lord's Supper that serves our memory? No, the Word of God does the same thing. But apparently, apparently because we have it, it's an ordinance, it's commanded of us, we apparently need the Lord's Supper as well. We, we need to sit regularly. Some people argue that we should uh, do it every week, each and every Lord's Day. But we need to sit regularly at the table of our Lord, and, and we need in the Lord's Supper to, to take bread in our hands, bread that signifies the body of Christ in His sacrifice on the cross. We need to eat that bread. And we need to take the wine or the juice in our hand and we need to drink that cup which signifies his blood shed on the cross. And so we need to receive the the sacramental wake-up call, the sacramental shaking, the sacramental shout, we might say. In the Lord's Supper, Christ himself by his Spirit is shouting at us. He's shaking us. He's waking us up. He's giving us to remember him, to remember him to remember him and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. In the sacrament, Christ is calling us back to himself, saying, abide in me. Abide in me, certainly now at the table, but but not just now. Abide in me on Monday morning when you're getting up and going out into another week. Abide in me on a Wednesday evening when you get home and you're tired Uh, of your job and you're frustrated with your spouse or your children. Abide in me on a Friday night when you're faced with temptation. Abide in me every day, which is to say, remember, remember me and what I have done for you. Remember me that I am with you every moment, my spirit abiding in you. Remember me because I am remembering you. That's what... Jesus is saying to us in the Lord's Supper. And remember as well his promise of life. Jesus said in verse 54, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And what does it mean to feed on Christ? It means to believe in him to depend upon Him just as surely as we depend upon the food that we eat that keeps us physically alive. To to feed on Christ is to believe in Him, and and to believe in Him is to abide in Him, not just uh, to keep some weekly appointments with Him, but to abide in Him. This is His promise, that those who feed on Him, those who depend upon Him, those who believe in Him, those who abide in Him, are those who will live forever. The older we get, the closer we come to the grave. And uh, if ever there was a time to remember Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, it's when we are confronted with death and with the grave that awaits us. So let us abide in Christ and let us remember Christ and his promise, his promise of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Christ is most certainly present in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is also called communion. Maybe we should use that name more often. I'm not sure why, but I tend to say Lord's Supper rather than than communion, but 
There's much meaning in that and, and a great reminder. Maybe we should use that name more often because in the sacrament we are communing with Christ. But we do so in spirit and by faith. The one who does not believe in Christ with a knowledgeable and understanding and saving faith does not feed on Christ. But those who do have faith, and by that faith, they are most certainly feeding on Christ. They are powerfully reminded, they are deeply assured that Christ has died for them, suffering hell in their place. As we come to the table with faith, let us go away again, abiding in Christ and seeking to be ever mindful of who He is, ever mindful of what He has done for us, ever mindful of His daily, constant presence with us. Amen. Let's uh, close in prayer. Grant us the humility, O Lord Jesus Christ, to acknowledge that except by your sacrifice on the cross, we have no life. Give us to understand this great mystery, and yet a mystery revealed to us in the gospel, and yet one that remains a mystery to us as we forget or as we just become confused that that to believe in you is to feed on you in a spiritual sense and only by faith, but help us to know our, our need and uh, help us to be sure that you've met that need. And as we come to your table, we do pray that there will be that, that powerful reminder, that remembrance, and that there would also be the... the the strengthening of our assurance, and that uh, we might be um, brought not just at the table, but throughout our Christian lives to abide in you. Hear our prayer. Bless us as we come to your table. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.